asked a lawyer one time what he looks for in a witness, what he expects out of a testimony. He said, what the person has seen. I don't want them to offer a conjecture or opinion, to imagine what might have happened. I want the witness to say what he has witnessed. The answer is in the word, witness, to say what you have seen. Testify that which you can attest to. Jesus would agree, this is how he put it, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. If the word evangelism causes you to freak out, let me help you reimagine it. Evangelism is sharing good news. And the best way is when we speak to what we know. To testify to what we have seen. Simon Peter was in Joppa, minding his business, caring for the believers in that community. And up to this point in the story of Luke and Acts, he and none of the apostles had ventured outside of Jewish territory. They hadn't ministered in a Gentile context, they believed or had been taught that it was wrong. Peter says in Acts 10, you know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. What's interesting is he is saying that in a Gentile's house, in Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Roman centurion, quite the Gentile. He was in Caesarea. Caesarea was a a town built by Herod with a great pantheon in the midst of it, a temple dedicated to Caesar Augustus. You don't get much more Gentile than where they were. And in that setting, Peter said, you know, we're not supposed to be here. But Peter, just days before, had been in a trance, and in that trance, a voice had spoken to him, and the voice had told him something new, something entirely new. The voice said, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And three days later, Peter stood in Cornelius' house, at Cornelius' invitation, ready to testify. These are the words God gave him to say. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to God. You know the message He sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John announced how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. We are witnesses to all that He did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put Him to death by hanging Him on a tree, but God raised Him on the third day and allowed Him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who are chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. 
that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter shared the good news. There's nothing complicated in what he had to say to them. Peter didn't try to dispute pagan understandings of polytheism or somehow prove that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. He didn't pick up an egg or a clover leaf and start talking about the Trinity. He said, look, here's the story as I know it. God shows no partiality. You are as eligible as am I. God wants people to honor Him and to do what is right. Jesus, He's Lord of all. He came among us and He was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon Him. He went about doing good and healing people. I saw it. God was with Him. Now, they killed Jesus. But on the third day, God raised him up and the prophet said he'd be coming and he came and everyone who believes on him receives forgiveness through him. You know that story, that good news. Most people you're around know something of that story and that good news, but we all need to hear it. Again and again, we all need to hear it. Tell that story. But in the midst of it, tell your story. Because your story is irrefutable. And it puts flesh on what otherwise could be seen as some kind of fairy tale. Tell the good news as you have known it. Because you're the expert on that. You know how you've experienced forgiveness. You know what it has been like for you to follow Jesus. Attest to what you have seen. Testify to what you know. I was baptized when I was six months old. Two weeks before my parents moved from a new town. And we were living up in Farmville, North Carolina, and they were moving to Gaffney. And they didn't know how strong the minister would be where we were going. And I was a chunky baby, so they needed to go ahead and, <laughs> and have me baptized. So I was baptized in that congregation. For my knowledge, never saw the pastor again. From what I understand, he was a Tar Heel fan and soon thereafter left the ministry. So I am a proponent of the theology that says it is God who validates a baptism, not the hands that perform it. We moved to Gaffney, lived there for three years. Then we moved to Rock Hill, to the church where I grew up, mostly in. And, and in that church, in that context, I grew to know God more closely. In the church and in the home, it was spoken to me, it lived before me that, that God loves me. That God has and will forgive me. I began to see that, that Jesus has desires for my life and wants me to live in ways that reflect the kingdom of God and, and that it benefits Him if I can do that, but it also benefits me when I can do that. I've come to believe that Jesus is Lord and I seek to follow Him with my life. I believe that when we see Jesus, we see the Father, that He is the clearest depiction of God that we 
could ever receive or comprehend. I believe that God wants a relationship with us. And I know that some days I feel closer to the Father, and some days I feel closer to the Son, and some days I feel closer to the Holy Spirit, and some days I don't feel close to any of them. And even then, God is still seeking me out. That even if I forget God, God will never forget me. The deepest conviction I have is that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't know if my witness will do anything for you or anyone else. If it will somehow convince you of anything, but that's not my job. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to convert you. That's God's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. What I am called to do is to profess my faith openly. To witness to what I have seen. And believe. I'm called to be Christ's representative in this world, as we say in the baptism vows. So we do that by celebrating good news, by lifting before others good news. Love is good news. Forgiveness is good news. Mercy and sacrifice and healing are good news. As you get to know Jesus and the life He offers, you start to realize there is a lot of good news and you want to share it. You want others to know about it, to experience it too. And you realize you have a role in that. No matter how wonderful our advertising might be, no matter how great our reputation is in the community, what brings persons into the life of a church and thereby into a life in Christ is the invitation by people they know and they trust and they admire, that is what makes someone interested in a life in the church. A visiting preacher showed up in a town and, and he saw a boy walking on the sidewalk and said, Hey, kid, can you show me where the post office is? And the kid gave him directions and he said, well, Thank you. By the way, I'll be preaching at the Methodist church tonight. If you want to come, I'll show you how to get to heaven. And the boy said, No, thanks. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> We're more likely to accept the invitation of someone we know, someone we trust. You may have noticed in the last several years that when people join this church, we, we issue the membership vows and we say to them, will you be part of this church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. And then we turn to you all to recommit yourselves to this church, and we say, will you be part of it with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service? Several years ago, the United Methodist Church realized that possibly, in some corners of Methodism, people weren't actively pursuing that witness part, and so they adopted the new membership vows, which included witness. Well, I've been meaning to do this for some time, and Josh told you to have a pen out. So get that pen and get your hymnals. Turn to page 38 in the hymnal, please. If you go down to the 
third line from the bottom on page 38, you'll see those membership vows. And I want you to scratch out the end that comes right before our service. And then after service, I want you to write in, and our witness. So just going to read that you will participate with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. That's how it should read. That's how we'll say it from now on. Bottom of page 38, third row from the bottom, third line from the bottom, should end, and our witness. Alright, good. You can put the hymnals away. We have some witnessing to do. There are people in this congregation, many people in this congregation, who are living out their witness by serving within the church, by leading the church. You want a means by which to tell your neighbor, your coworker, your child something of your life in Christ. Tell them that you've got to miss out on the golf match on Saturday morning. Or you're going to be late for that event because you've got to be up at the church to spend three hours preparing for a good year of life at Central. That's what many of you did yesterday as part of your witness, as part of the leadership training. And many of you will spend a good portion of this year doing things that serve as service unto God, that that demonstrate in how you're living your life, this is what I believe, this is how I believe. And you'll, you'll show up for Bible study or for fellowship times, and you'll come here for worship when there are other things that you could be doing. You'll, you'll teach and you'll coach and you'll, you'll be part of the life of this church. And in giving that time, it is noticeable what you believe. You'll do these things and, and you'll... You'll have words to say. You'll be kind to people others might not be kind to. And, and when you do those things, and when you have these words to say, what you bear witness to, your testimony will begin to be believable because it won't just sound like things you were trained to say that other people are doing. It'll look like things you are doing which inform how you say the things that you are, are saying. In just a minute, we're going to recommission or commission those who've been asked to be part of the leadership of this church for the year to come, to serve on these committees or ministry teams or to chair them. And then we're going to reaffirm our baptism, which is a combination of both saying, yes, Lord, I once again commit to you and to a life in you and to living with you and for you and acknowledge that I need you as my Lord and Savior and yes, Lord, I'm willing, therefore, to go and to witness, to testify, to say what I have seen and experienced, and to live it out for you. So we'll do both. If you want to reaffirm your baptism after the commissioning of the lay servants, then we'll ask you to come down the center aisle after that finishes and to come and touch the water. And maybe you want to kneel and pray at the chancel rail. Maybe you want to pray back in the... Seats, but, but you certainly want to consider what it means to be someone who has been baptized by Christ into a life in Him. What it means to you to be one of His servants.